it's Dr. Ron Kaiser, and you know I'm all about wellness and all about prevention. And with that in mind, I'm happy to welcome the sponsor of this podcast, NutriSense. Do you know that your blood sugar levels can significantly impact upon how your body feels and functions? The NutriSense program lets you analyze in real time how your glucose levels respond to food, exercise, stress, and sleep. Here's how it works. You wear a continuous glucose monitor that's called a biosensor, and you have an app on your phone, the NutriSense app that helps you to scan your glucose levels, visualize data, log meals, run experiments, and much more. And then on top of that, you get expert dietitian guidance. Now, there are significant benefits from knowing your glucose level, and that can include weight loss if that's desired, stable energy throughout the day, better sleep, and understanding which foods are good for you. I personally have used the NutriSense system, and I learned how making a few tweaks in the way that I eat has helped me to be more energetic and productive throughout the day, and especially to avoid that early afternoon slump that I know some of you share. So, what I strongly encourage you to do is go to NutriSense.io slash goal, G-O-A-L, and that's a special code for listeners to this program. You'll be able to both learn about the various subscription plans that NutriSense has, and it also enables you to enroll for one. And as a special gift to our listeners, if you use that sign-up code, you will get $30 off of a subscription plan, as well as a month of free dietitian support. So that's NutriSense, N-U-T-R-I-S-E-N-S-E dot I-O slash goal, G-O-A-L. Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I'm your host, Ron Kaiser, positive psychologist and coach, also a TEDx and keynote speaker and author of the triple award-winning book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. It's your source of information regarding all kinds of things related to wellness, rejuvenating, positive psychology, my own particular spin on it that I call goal-achieving psychology, and lots of other interesting things. Hope you'll visit the website. It's also the place where you can communicate with me and even suggest guests for future podcasts. As listeners of the podcast know, my goal is to always present guests who are not only interesting and informative, but also lead their own lives with enthusiasm and have different ways of helping us 
to become the best versions of ourselves. And in that regard, we have a really, really special guest today, an old friend who I've kind of lost touch with over the period of time. But I'm proud to say that Donald Altman is with us today. Donald is a, a psychotherapist, international mindfulness expert, and award-winning author of over 20 books translated worldwide. Kind of makes my bragging about rejuvenating uh, kind of kind of puts it in its place. He's featured as an expert in the mindfulness movie, and he's profiled in the Living Spiritual Teachers Project. He currently writes Psychology Today's Practical Mindfulness blog. In addition, his best-selling The Mindfulness Toolbox won two national publishing Ben Franklin Independent Book Publishers Awards as best book in both the psychology and mind-body-spirit categories. His books, Clearing Emotional Clutter and the Mindful Clutter, did I say Clutter? Clearing Emotional Clutter and the Mindfulness Code were both chosen as one of the best spiritual books of the year by spirituality and, and practice. He's past, past vice president of the Center for Mindful Eating. He has thought, taught mindfulness to over 15,000 healthcare and business professionals. And his newest book is called Travelers, a novel about a grieving psychiatrist who finds hope, healing, and renewal when a mysterious traveling pet therapist and a ascension canine and suicidal young patient come to the psych ward. Travelers has just been released. We'll get you information on how you can get it. Donalds is a great author, but also really an expert on mindfulness. And I'm really looking forward to a terrific discussion. So Donald, welcome to Rejuvenating. So happy to have you with us. Oh, well, thank you, Ron. And I want to say um, I love your book and the title Rejuvenating is something that um, actually I want to have you on my podcast so that we can share that with an audience um, here in Portland. And I just think you've done wonderful work in that area of helping people, again, find encouragement, enthusiasm for as they grow older. Well, thanks very much. Look forward to continuing the conversation. So, well, we've established that you're in Portland, and uh, which <laughs> is three hours earlier than where we are. You still got some some daytime ahead of you. Let me ask. I, I we've got lots of things to talk about in different uh, directions, but you're really known as a mindfulness expert, one of the the leading experts in the field, and. Uh, while we've touched on the topic in various podcasts that we've done, I don't know if we've ever really gone into it in much depth. So uh, while many of us have an idea of what we mean when we say mindfulness, it certainly is not a, an obscure concept. But from the standpoint of an expert, what is mindfulness? You know, I've always tried to expand mindfulness. From when I learned it in the monastery, I actually ordained as a Buddhist monk for a period of time, Ron, and uh, had some wonderful teachers there and learned, uh, you know, the Buddha had originally the four foundations of mindfulness, which is awareness of the 
body, awareness of sensations, feelings, or sensations as experienced in the mind, awareness of consciousness, of noticing your thoughts and noticing your mind, and then also awareness of phenomena, how things how things uh, arise and fall away, right? It's kind of uh, impermanence. So those are kind of the four foundations of mindfulness. But if you go back to the original meaning of the word sati, which is often translated, it's a Sanskrit word often translated as mindfulness. The original meaning of sati means uh, self-recollection and self-remembrance. And that's really how I like to think about it and how I like to teach it as a way of really bringing back the fragmented parts of ourselves, finding our sense of wholeness, right? And, um, and, and, and yes, uh, I think breathing, of course, uh, is a wonderful way to start to practice mindfulness and there's breath meditations and it's very experiential. So, I mean, we can talk about it, but it's important for people to actually experience it themselves and to integrate it. That's the beautiful thing. It can be integrated into your daily, daily life. Well, that's really interesting because I know for a lot of people, we think of mindfulness as kind of a form of meditation, but it's more than that, isn't it? How do, how do you integrate it into daily life? Yeah, I see it as more than that. I see it not as a means for productivity, um, as a as it's taught a lot of uh, in a lot of places, but a, a means for just becoming more aware, expanding our consciousness, right? So especially, it's very easy for us to identify with our thoughts. When you grab onto a thought, it can pull you in different directions. And there's even research that shows that our mind has distressing thoughts, random distressing thoughts that might arise throughout the course of a day. And if you identify with those thoughts, you can get a have a real misperception about your life and who you are. I mean, you know, I'd like to ask your audience for a moment, have you considered how many thoughts you've had today? Have you tried counting those thoughts? <laughs> well, um, you probably, most of us have around 20,000 thoughts a day, and that's probably on the low end. And, you know, how many of those thoughts tell you something profound about who you are as a person? <laughs> probably not a whole lot, right? Many of them are just repetitive thoughts, conditioned thoughts, uh, maybe even toxic or random thoughts. So mindfulness is a tool for helping us view ourselves in the larger picture instead of identity, you know, the, the 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 self, the ego, that self that is constructed with all these words and ideas, and to help get us beyond that into a world of of experience, getting out of our head and dropping into our body and dropping into our life. So where does somebody begin? I mean, do, do you encourage people they're taking a course or start concentrating on breathing or can you be mindful when you're uh, eating or brushing your teeth or where, where, where do you start? Let's say somebody is really that what you're saying makes a whole lot of sense, but they're not trained in it. Well, I'd say start with what is giving you a problem in your life. So if you're ruminating, if you're anxious, if you're, you know, I, I mean, I went into the monastery when I had gone through a loss in my life and was in a very challenging, difficult place, feeling a lot of pain. And I had met this uh, Uthilananda, this Burmese monk uh, previously. And I, when this happened to me, 
this painful event. And I, I also looked at it and I said, wow, this has been repeating in my life in different forms, one way or another. It's a pattern. And how can I get to see this pattern? How can I uh, kind of deconstruct it and start to view it in a new way? So I went into the monastery and and it started that process for me, but I started from the point of pain, right? We all experience loss. We all experience pain. What better place than to start exploring uh, that which is is causing us uh, suffering? So uh, can you tell us a little more about your journey? Because it sounds so interesting uh, that uh, uh, you didn't just come by it casually. It sounds like <laughs> if you put your time in. Well, you know, it's interesting. I When I was in my 20s, and I, you know, I could talk about this. I had a major depressive episode. I came from a family that was a lot of trauma in my family. And I often like to say, if you know, if you're in a human body and you have a human mind and you're going to experience difficulties of some kind, you're going to have obstacles, you're going to have challenges. So I had an obstacle at that young age. And uh, I was fortunate. I had a very wise uh, counselor who was helping me. And but at the same time, I started to have, I guess what you would call uh, uh, transcendental awareness experiences. And I think it was maybe a way of, you know, here I was mired in the pain of this situation as a young man. And by experiencing these other transcendental awareness experiences, I had a brief moment to view something beyond myself. And I think it was the beginning of a spiritual initiation. You know, initiation comes in a lot of different ways, and that allowed me a view of of realize of a realization that there was more to life than just the material world. You know, and that's very much a part of this book, Travelers, that I wrote. It's really a journey to see how do we get out of the stranglehold of our materialistic view of things and uh, experience the mystery, the wonder, the joy that is around us, and even how that can inform our sense of wholeness, our sense of healing as a human being. That's so interesting. And uh, I mean, I've already mentioned that you've been quite a prolific author. I mean, is is your background as a writer, or how did uh, you wind up doing all this? Uh, all this? Well, I, I, I kind of grew up in a family that... Um, my father was an engineer. He didn't understand anything about writing. He thought that was a, probably a waste of my time. <laughs> and um, yeah, he actually wanted me to go into engineering. Uh, but I had an impulse to do something creative. And and I'm so grateful that for whatever reason I had that. And, and my mother actually was supportive of me doing something that was more creative. And well, actually, I was a writer. I'd say I didn't really discover it until I was about 27. And I was kind of nibbling around the edges, not sure what to do. And I think about how young people today are so quickly pushed into making career decisions, making life decisions. And I'd be nice if we all had a little more time to explore, right? Mm -hmm. And to look and see what really suited us. And since we're talking about your writing and we're talking about mindfulness uh before we get to your to your most recent book if somebody is particularly 
interested in in starting the journey. I know I've read several of your books and I uh, find them all very helpful, but I, I don't know whether one is designed as a starting point or if there are a couple of ones that you particularly, I, I, that may sure. not be fair to ask yeah. an author to, you know, it's like asking what to pick out your favorite kids, but. Uh, well, it's interesting uh, because I think each of them serves somewhat of a different purpose and they're written differently. And a book that I came out with just a couple of years ago is called Simply Mindful, a seven week course and personal handbook for mindful living. And I would say for somebody that hasn't experienced mindfulness or wants to kind of understand it, uh, that book kind of brings all my years of teaching together in a way that I was able to describe mindfulness. It's very, uh, it's got a lot of science in that book. Uh, you could think of it as a course to kind of, if you know, if you're interested in mindfulness, want to learn more, I'd say that might be a good book to start. If you want just a taste of mindfulness, uh, one minute mindfulness, a book that I wrote just has little daily experiences around mindfulness. You could start to notice things. So I think it depends on what your commitment is, what your level of really wanting to learn and how deeply you want to go into something. But all my books are very experiential. They all have practices in them because, again, mindfulness without a practice isn't really mindfulness, is it? <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, and what well, before we quit, we'll get all the information on how people can find out about your books and so on. But before we get to the the latest, uh, one more thing that I'm, I'm interested in is somebody who lives mindfully, how does their their day-to-day -day life differ from somebody who isn't really aware of mindfulness? Yeah, there was a great little story about somebody who heard about a mindfulness clinic and they did a training. And so this person went there and he observed everybody for a day and watched what they did. And they, they sat and they walked and they read the newspaper. They had their meal. And finally, at the end of the day, he said, I want to talk to the head teacher. So they found the head teacher. And the guy says, you know, he says, I've been observing you mindfulness people all day. And I, I don't see anything here that I don't do in my life. Right. I, I walk, I have my lunch, I do all these things. I mean, what's the big deal? <laughs> and the, and the head teacher looks at him and says, well, maybe the difference is when we walk, we walk. When we sit, we sit. When we eat, we eat. Full presence of awareness, full presence of being with each thing you're doing. So it's very different from a lot of our lives nowadays where we're multitasking. Our um, attention is focused outward, not inward, not reflecting inward or looking or observing our thoughts and our mental processes in our body, but focused outward. And uh, so reflection uh, and mindfulness is a very, very different process and way of being. So I guess I, that's what I would say is the, the difference. And actually, that's one of the things that the main character in this story, who's a psychiatrist, who's very rational, very logical uh, in Travelers, and he's the main character, and he's dealing with the loss of his daughter. His daughter had died. It's ripping his family apart, his, he and his wife. And he focuses on things to distract himself all the time rather than deal with that grief. And in the book, he's forced to undertake a spiritual initiation, a mystical journey, so to speak. And 
that actually uh, engages him in having that full presence, that participation in life that transforms him. And he's going through a healing process. And I don't want to give anything away, but he also has to try to help this young man from what might end up being a life of uh, institutionalized care. So it's that's kind of the story in a nutshell. Oh, that's that's really really interesting and and kind of a an application of uh, what you've been doing right along, but putting it in novel form, uh, and also I think underscores one of the things that I've been aware of that there are a lot of us in this field who. Uh, really, once we began to be aware of mindfulness, became aware of how little mindfulness there was in our own lives without mm. really making it a part of our lives. Oh, that's very true. Yeah. And I mean, I've experienced that. Just as, as a simple example, I mean, I used to, uh, when I'd eat breakfast, I used to read the paper too, on the assumption that that was you know, I could get two things out of the way at one time. And learning about yeah. mindfulness at some point, I decided to concentrate on breakfast and uh, among other things, eating healthier, making some some other choices, uh, being a, aware of things and trying to do it in other aspects of my life. So I'm really a, a supporter of, of the work that you're doing. Well, that's wonderful, that uh, awareness that you gained about, you know, having the that when you're having breakfast, you're having breakfast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and and it changed so how sense. you, yeah, and it changed the experience of it and your your intentionality towards it. Yeah, it's absolutely correct, and uh, you know, it's it, it's almost kind of like a an aha moment when you you realize, hey, this this is different than having breakfast and reading the paper or having breakfast and watching TV or things of that nature. Do you, do you plan to do more novels or? Oh yeah. 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 I'm thinking of some other ideas and I uh, would like to do more of that because it, for me, it's another way to reach people who might not read a nonfiction book and yet can, you know, notice some of these concepts and, and also it's a way of bringing someone into the world of a psychiatric clinic, into that world, uh, into the world of what is it like to, uh, undergo experience therapy, different kinds of therapies that are mentioned in the book. And um, you know, what again, what is it like to find that sense of wholeness? Great, great. Well, I'm sure that your your book will find a great audience as, as your others have. Kind of wondering as you're speaking, I mean, mindfulness makes such sense that uh, kind of wonder why it's not really taught more unless maybe it is nowadays but i'm just wondering if you know my grandchildren or or parents of younger children um what can they do to help this process along because i mean clearly i don't know anybody who's learned mindfulness and then says boy that was a waste of time or you know really <laughs> that. yeah you know i it, it is being taught in some schools there is a, some different mindfulness in school programs that are out there. Uh, there was some resistance that people thought this was an Eastern idea and they didn't really understand it. Uh, but I think it is making some inroads. And uh, it's important for young people to learn this and for older people to learn this. You know, you're doing a 
talking about rejuvenating, for example, and there are is research that shows that uh, a mindfulness practice, even a brief eight to ten minute breathing practice a day, can reduce mild cognitive impairment. People sixty five and above. I mean, there there's some very fascinating research out there, and you know we're kind of at the beginning of that because we're starting to age as a population, and we're starting to see studies like that, and uh, that's very exciting to know that it can help. Yeah, that that's great because uh, you know I think we're well. It's not a matter of thinking. We obviously are getting a growing older population, and uh, if we can do anything to uh, reduce decline, I mean that's that's really hopeful kinds of kinds of work. Um, you know, I have another book that I you know I, I thought of as more as a book for younger people. It's called Simply Mindful and Color. Simply, I'm sorry, the Simply Mindful Coloring Book. Hmm. And so every coloring page has an opposite-facing mindfulness practice, a very simple practice that is reinforced by the visual image that you're coloring. And I thought of it really as for kids, but I think that it'd be a very wonderful way for you know adults or elders to uh, start practicing mindfulness. Yeah, especially nowadays where adult coloring books are uh, are part of the culture. It's, it's oh yeah, that adults could uh, could relate to as well as as younger kids. And uh, do you find that there's any uh, any resistance among say older folks of learning something new, or do you, do uh, we find that it you know once people are aware of it that that they're they're all into it. I think that it, yeah, a lot of it depends on how you present it to someone. I'm always trying to take mindfulness out of the box and um, fit it into the vocabulary, the person using it. So I may never use the word mindfulness when I when I teach mindfulness to somebody or a mm -hmm. client. Um, I've had people. Well, I remember one lady who had some uh, binge eating problems. And uh, she had heard that mindfulness could help and that I did this kind of work. And I said, yeah, we can do mindfulness practices with you around eating. And she stopped me right there and she said, wait, says, you know, I'm, I'd like to do that. But I, I grew up in a religious family where we didn't use the word mindfulness and it makes me uncomfortable, actually. And I said, we'll never use the word. <laughs> and we never did. So I use maybe something like selective attention, focus breath practice, whatever, but I found that you, you know, you you can adapt this to really almost any group. Even the Hawaiians, I was teaching a workshop in Hawaii one time, and a lady came to me uh, between the uh during one of the breaks and said, Oh, you know, we have a word for mindfulness in Hawaiian, and it's called Nalu. It means not too fast, not too slow, in the flow. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great word. The, uh, yeah, I love that word. Yeah, I was going to move to ask where people can find you in your book, but you mentioned a word that made me think of another question. You mentioned that you sometimes might use the word focus. We've got either either a bit of an uh, epidemic or uh, of either ADHD or overdiagnosis of ADHD, but. Uh, the fact is that focus is is an issue for a lot of people. 
is there anything that that you can give some hints to, whether it be whether you can shorten things or I, I don't know, but uh, have you given that some thought, how you deal with people who have real or thought or self diagnosis Yeah, I mean, I might want to look at how at somebody's hobbies because that tells me a lot about how they get present. Mm-hmm. So if their hobby is drawing or coloring, then they're very visual. They get present visually or through movement with, you know, tactile and through movement. So I might want to know something about their hobby and maybe want to have them focus on a hobby or focus on something, even if they haven't done that particular practice in a while, just as a way to retrain themselves to to stay with something and then give themselves, uh, you know, even five minutes, start with five minutes and stay with it for that length of time. Or even if you want a, a mindfulness breathing practice, just see if you can breathe just noticing your in-breath and your out-breath. Maybe you say a word, you could breathe in, and you could think of the word focus and breathe out, maybe say the word present. And just do that. Breathe in, focus, breathe breathe out, presence or present. And just do that for even a minute or two. I think you can start with just small bites of this, and it, and it will be beneficial. Great, yeah. That, I mean, that was one of the things that, attracted me to your work initially is the fact that again when I first learned it I thought you had to do this real extensive breathing practice Mm. and uh you know while by the very nature of mindfulness you don't punish yourself if you're mindful but uh (laughs) nonetheless it was was harder work uh at the beginning and and knowing that you could begin in small chunks I, I think that really fits more with learning theory and and being able to yeah. you know, accomplish things. I mean, even in the monastery where we would, uh, uh, you know, I was in monk's attire and I would go sit out with the other monks and you sit in a cross-legged position. It was very painful for me, but I had a very wise teacher in uh, Uthilananda and he said, you know, and I thought, I'm a monk, I have to do this. You know, it's like forcing myself to do something that would be very difficult. And he said, if you need to move your position, just do so with awareness. So, and that was a great lesson for me And anything we do, you know, we don't need to punish ourselves. I like that word, uh, you know, or try to be rigid with ourselves, but give our, allow ourselves to breathe, right? Allow ourselves to uh, gain flexibility. Great. That's wonderful advice. So let's, uh, first of all, anything else you want to say about your newest book and then want to hear about where you can get it? and uh, where we can get it, and also about how people find you, find your other uh, writings, anything else that you have to offer to the world. Well, thank you, Ron. Um, The book is Travelers, and it was inspired by One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest for me, a book that I've always loved, but Travelers is a more optimistic book, (laughs) and uh, it it doesn't have the kind of uh, forensic kind of uh, institution that was Ken Casey wrote about was many, many years ago. So it's a it's a fresh look at wellness and healing and mental health and how we can view things differently. And uh, the book is available. And yet I think it's a gripping story for a lot of people. You don't know what's going to happen. And uh, and that was one of the things that was uh, kind of fun for me to allow myself to uh, write creatively in, in that way. 
And, 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 and while some people have read it and they said, no, that's you, that must be you, meaning me. I said, no, it's fiction. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you can get the book. Uh, it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes & Noble. It's on independent booksellers, websites. Uh, you could order it from a bookstore if that's how you would want to get it. You could go to my website and um, different links are there in my website for not just this book, but all my books. And that's at mindfulpractices.com. It's M-I-N-D-F-U-L practices.com. And so I also have uh, different uh, online courses, CDs and, and books available. They also have a newsletter if people want to sign up for that. So uh, that's all available there. And so that's how you can get the book. And I hope you enjoy it. And and I try to stay in touch with people. Uh, my email is up on my website. I invite people to write me and share your experiences with the book and or any of my work. Okay, and we'll have all this in the show notes. So that oh, okay. We'll be great, great. Be aware of it. Just with respect to travelers, is it... In print only, or can you get an ebook or audio? Oh, good question. That's a good question, Ron. It's available uh, both as a um, ebook, a uh, Kindle, and as a print uh, version. So it's yeah. Great. I don't have an audio book out yet, but maybe one of these days. Okay, <laughs> great. Well, I mean, this has been so enlightening, so informative, and so helpful for. The listeners and uh i've been wanting to have you on for quite a while donald i'm glad that we were able to to accomplish it and uh maybe it was meant to be delayed until your book came out so <laughs> glad we're well the timing is good yeah well it's exciting for me to be on your show and to and to, even more to reconnect with you ron and the work that you're doing great Great. Well, thanks very much. Uh, you've been really helpful to a lot of people. Well, you've been over the years to lots and lots of people, but to a few more who are now who are my listeners. So thanks again. This brings to close another episode of uh, Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. And we hope that and trust that you have enjoyed, gained from it, please tell your friends about it and be sure to download, rate, review the podcast and be back next week for another really interesting guest. And don't forget to visit the website, The Mental Health Gym, for additional information that can help you lead your life enthusiastically. Remember, that we are still in the pandemic. So make sure that you're staying safe out there. I just had another friend who got diagnosed with, with the illness. And uh, while most of them aren't severe nowadays, it's not a fun thing to have. So stay safe, stay positive. Be back next week. Looking forward to it. This is Dr. Ron Kaiser signing off. <laughs>